1895, the state of Ohio had only two automobiles. And wouldn't you know it, they collided. <laughs> so, <laughs> who knows what kind of collision we're going to have in the days ahead. If you dare vote for a decree that God finds abominable and murderous, you will answer to him. God's curse is upon you. How dare you? How dare you? defy him. Strange women lying in ponds, distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. When is the time for justice? The time is now. I'm tired of waiting for incremental solutions that never make any increments and never bring solutions. So when is the time for justice? It's now. I said to every sinner, God broke the law for love. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. If the court in a nation is the highest authority, then you've found a God. If the people are the highest authority, then you've found another God. If, if there's no transcendent law governing over this nation or any other nation, then you've found another God. It's never too early to learn that the government is a greedy piglet that suckles on a taxpayer's teat until they have sore, chapped nipples. Take the guns first, go through due process second. Please clap. Just as the church has an obligation to be Christian, just as the family has an obligation to be Christian, just so the school has an obligation to be Christian, and the state, and your calling, and the school, every area of life must recognize Christ as Lord and Savior. Welcome to Crossing Crown Radio, an unapologetically Christian reconstructionist talk show for your edification and enjoyment. There is no neutrality, there is no exile, there is no surrender, and all of that is because Jesus Christ is King. My name is Jason, and I'm here with my brothers Jordan. Hello there. And John. Howdy, howdy. How are you guys doing today? Awesome. How are you doing, Pastor? I'm under the weather, so I am not 100%, but we will make it work. And happy to be here on episode 12. Episode number 12. This is the final episode of season one. It's been a doozy. Yeah. A lot of great content in season one. We are uh, already planning ahead for the next season, which we will reconvene in a few short weeks. Lord willing. Um, but yeah, we uh, mentioned on our last episode that what we want to do is bring each season. We'll have about 12 episodes and we want to revisit a lot of topics and sort of give us a break to in planning and coordinating more interviews and topics that we want to cover. I mean, we have such a large staff in the, you know, the background doing everything. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, well, there's, let me see. No, we're, it's just us. It's us, man. <laughs> we're it's ma- just us. We're What's making our own here? coffee. The media department, <laughs> IT department, we need production. A few, we need a few interns. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it, man. Personalities. <laughs> We are we are doing our own things, but yeah, we're busy too. I mean, we're working full time, and but we love what we're doing here with this, and we love you, uh, listeners, for checking us out and staying tuned, tuned in with us. John, you got that look in your eye. Oh, you just looked at me when you said listeners, 
And I was like, I, I guess, yeah, I, I listen as well. You it listen, kind of yeah. Weird, but it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, nonetheless, um, I want to, well, we're going to talk about precept today, presuppositionalism. Um, but before we get into that, I want to just thank you all for many of you who have uh, looked into Crossing Crown Seminary. We've had a lot of great feedback, yeah. lots of inquiries. I already have several, quite a handful of people who have already started. Wow. Which is so cool. Already underway. Already international. We have two international students. Um, the inaugural class. Yeah. <laughs> the class, I guess it would be class of 2021. All right. So, yeah, it's about a two-year program. Trailblazers. Yeah, go to our website, crosscrownchurch.com slash seminary. You can learn more about the school. You can learn more about what we're doing, the classes we have. And really, it's meant to be, again, this whole discipleship, all of life thing. Um, don't be too intimidated. You're not going to spend, you know, a whole year on Greek or Hebrew. Um, don't maybe, give up your job. If you have the propensity to want to learn those things, I can certainly point you in the right direction. But don't feel overwhelmed. These are good books we've picked, good lectures, and and I can't wait to work with you, especially to help you as you grow and, you know, build your corner of the garden world. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So yeah, again, crosscrownchurch.com slash seminary. You can read more or you can shoot us an email as well. We'd love to answer those questions. So that said, gentlemen, I don't know if you know this, but Trump has been our president for quite a while now. Donald Trump. The Donald. Wow. And we are already gearing it's, up. It's It's been a while, but it's still weird. Yeah. Just thinking about it. I, kind of bizarro world. Yeah. Yeah. I, so 2020 is coming up. We have the next election, and you have a ton of Democrats who have thrown their hat into the ring. I would say the majority of which I've never heard of, or at least have only heard of very little about. And But then there is one who just announced recently that he is going to throw his hat in the ring an oldie but a goodie or not a goodie yeah 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 <laughs> definitely an oldie and we're just gonna play his announcement i pulled this from twitter I, I showed up and i thought it was intriguing so ladies and gentlemen we have joe biden who has thrown his hat into the ring let's take a listen folks this is more than a campaign this is a movement to bring the country back together again and move forward, but it depends on you. So head over to joebiden.com slash donate to make a donation. Stand with us. Together, we can get this done and restore the soul of this nation. So we need to restore the soul of this nation. <laughs> what are you guys thinking when you hear, when you heard that? <sighs> Pastor, Bu Pastor Biden. <laughs> America has a soul now? I guess. I he know. sounds very sincere. I think the, the, the direction on this ad was just, you know, try to just really sound so, so sincere. And it doesn't really come across Humble. as sincere. Go for yeah. the heart, Joe. Go, Go for, for the heart. heart yeah. You know? Well, I, I was reading an article from the Washington good, good Post. Good guy Joe, you know? Good yeah. guy Joe. <laughs> More well, like creepy Joe, but whatever. Well, you know, <laughs> recently he apologized for all of that because he was starting to get a lot of media attention for the awkwardness oh, yeah. of He's a bit he handsy. Doing. What was he's his handsy. handsy? He's just a handsy guy. He's a know? handsy guy. He handsy gets guy. up, he's whispering in your ear when you're mm -hmm. taking a photo op in the White House. Doesn't matter how old you are, yeah. what, what like your gender is. Just, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it's not pleasant to see 
uh, and everyone's so uncomfortable as I would be if he were to be whispering in my ear and have his hands on my shoulders, which I'm much taller than him. So, but still, I, I'm not cool with that. But anyway, he recently apologized for all of that and said, you know, he's going to be more cautious in the future and more considerate. And okay, all right. Hmm, okay. But you know what? So, he, so be it. he has it right in one sense. And a lot of times I think Democrats and liberals get something right. And that is that people usually care more about the moral argument for something. So you can make an argument, well, unemployment is at 3.8% and it's never been this low in the last, last 14 quarters. Or, well, you know, you can make all these arguments. You can, you can make um, actually sound arguments, get your calculator out and explain things, economic theory. But the foundation of uh, what people usually respond to is morality. Because we're made in the image of God. We're moral creatures. Mm -hmm. And we respond to those kinds of overtures. And they know that. And so um, whenever you see AOC arguing for her policies, the main thing is she's going to talk about fairness. And she's going to talk about um, allegedly immoral um, you know, uh, tax scenarios and what have you. But it's all going to be founded on this this idealism and this, this alleged morality that they're after. But uh, if you've been trained in the scriptures and if you if you know what your convictions are, you know that these appeals to morality are are so hypocritical because this guy, he's begging for the soul of America and at the same time, he's advocating staunchly his his pro-choice policy. He's the guy who says, oh, I'm personally pro-life, but I don't want to tell a woman what to do with her body. Right. And um, so, you know, any, anybody who thinks that they're going to achieve this or capture the soul of America, well engaging in perpetuating the bloodshed and the Holocaust that we're currently uh, fomenting is is just, you know, either ignorant or sin, um, or evil or both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the interesting thing, John, you and I were talking about this before we started to hit the record button here, that Biden, in a lot of ways, is way more moderate than a lot of these Democrats. Um, he's a little more, like we talked about foreign policy, He's a little um, more in line with the more moderate version of the Democratic Party, whereas you have a Bernie Sanders who's, you know, full on democratic socialism. Right. Guys right. that are, you know, a lot of folks that are like that. Um, Democrat from, you know, the early 2000s, not a 2019 Democrat. Right. right. Make, that kind of makes sense. Like he's from that last era, if you yeah. will. Yeah. And so part of the reason I wanted to talk about this is, A, it's a very good example of how we can do presuppositionalism, and, and we can get to that momentarily. But I was reading a Washington Post article, um, just skimmed it mostly, but they were making the argument that Biden probably has the best chance to beat Trump, mostly because, A, he's a well-known figure already, because some of these Democrats, I mean, that's always the case. You know, you have so many to try to push through the gates of the primary that most of them nobody really knows. So much of it hinges on name recognition. It does. Personality. And, and he's... Yeah, he has that good guy Joe shtick, yeah, right? Yeah. His son is in, was in the military, or maybe still is, and there's just sort of that tie, I, I think, to to America, you know? And it's always that. All the politicians do it, right? Make America great again. Yeah, restore the soul of our nation. You know? Right. Yeah, and he even used the language of moving forward, which forward was Obama's thing. Uh-oh. So the Post article was talking about basically they're part of the reason they think he could beat Trump, and I think they're right, is because he had eight years in the Oval Office with Obama, and people really liked Obama. And yeah, you think Obama would stump for him? I think he will. Oh, he already yeah. has. And in the uh, announcement, he was um, 
he was he was congratulating Joe. That's going to mean mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. That's going to mean a whole lot. And then you you think back to the debates that Trump and Clinton had, and Trump was I mean he he just wiped the floor with her mostly because he would get on these shticks about. I'm going to lock you up, you know, like I, in, yeah. in, oh yeah, you know, these beer crushing, you know, folks who are like, yes, let's yeah. get this guy. He's going to lock her up. As far and, as I know, Biden hasn't had at least that kind of scandal. He's not at that level. But no. the, things always seem to show up though. So I don't want to speak too soon. <laughs> no, yeah, the I, joke about Joe Biden is that he's just kind of a goof. A creepy Just old doesn't man quite know what's goof. going yeah. on. Another thing is he, he, he seems to be a little bit more sharp tongued. Yeah. He's not a Donald Trump, but he should be able to spar with Donald Trump and not That's show it. not yeah. show as kind of like a low energy Jeb Bush sort of situation where he just gets trampled. Please clap. Please <laughs> clap. Well, the, and the thing about Hillary Clinton is you can say anything you want about that whole race, but the thing she could never get over was her likability. In every poll, it constantly showed up. She just was not likable. Mm-hmm. And uh, to lose to Donald Trump, I mean, that's that takes something. That right? means so much because... <laughs> As 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 terrible person that I think Joe Biden is, I feel like I might enjoy his company in a very kind of limited context. <laughs> Hillary Clinton's like, no chance, no chance, yeah. you know. And that that matters. That kind of thing matters. And I'm definitely not endorsing Biden Biden anyway. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think I really care if Biden ran against Trump. Uh, I think they're both terrible human beings. And well, they're bad for this nation. There you go. Well, That's a beautiful segue. You didn't even know you were setting it up on the tee for me, John. But this is where the rubber meets the road. When we think about presuppositionalism, especially in the political arena, the the whole... Politi- basically, you have you know, the, the narrative, narrative of, we don't need any more old white men, but then suddenly we have Bernie Sanders and... <laughs> Joe Biden. Joe Biden and Donald Trump. <laughs> old white men. And they're all over 70. They just want the right old white men. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you have that whole thing. and But the whole political narrative is, is really messed up, especially as theonomists who love God's law. We look at the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, and we say, look, you guys have it way wrong. Now, I think you could argue in a lot of ways the Democratic Party has a more wrong mm-hmm. um, just by bullet points. Mm-hmm. But... That doesn't mean that we don't critique the Republican Party. Yeah, they're both so terrible that I can't support either one. I cannot get behind the Republican Party. Sorry, yeah. I can't get behind them. You know, absolutely not. Yeah, I absolutely couldn't ha- cannot get behind the Republican Party at all. When we're talking about just if you try to have some sort of standard, think about like body count. Then the Republicans will win just because of abortion right. on the Democratic side. However, we're Christians. We're not going to choose the lesser of two evils. So the Republican Party has a massive body count, too. They're just brown people in third world nations, mm. while the Democrats have a body count of preborn babies. There's still a yeah. body count. Mm-hmm. So that's they're, the problem. they're both terrible. I, to be honest with you, I don't know where I've landed on the. Um, the vote as a um, preventing um, more evil from from coming. I will say I can't support either, but um, I think they're. I would leave it open, I guess, to conscience on that. Yeah, I wrote an article years ago with the Trump election, right before he even won the primary, and I, I tried to argue for a position where we don't need to vote for the lesser of two evils because it's still evil. Mm-hmm. And I think that's tied to the way God's covenants work, the way sanctions work, 
the way we participate in evil through that because your vote isn't just this abstract metaphysical thing. It's like a participatory thing. You are. The system. That's how Republican, a republic, a democratic republic works. And and I don't know. I'm I'm still toying with that. I, I think I know what I think, but you know how it is. Like you're, you're faced with a real situation. How do you handle it? Um, but what we have to be able to do is come to an agreement that look, we have problems on both sides of the aisle. And just because you say, you know, I almost chimed in with the uh, Jordan Peterson, <laughs> I can't support the Republicans. So what you're saying is you're a Democrat. <laughs> and that's that's the constant refrain. Right. I was like, oh, then you must support them. Well, well, no, I don't really support them either. Their yeah. platform is very wicked. Mm-hmm. But let's not pretend that ours doesn't have wickedness in it too. Oh, right. I mean, you know? let's just yeah. think about one, one generation. How many Republicans right now in Congress would love to have a, a president that has the same policies as Bill Clinton? Yeah. As long as that president had an R by his name and not a D... Bill Clinton's policies seem, frankly, extremely moderate, sometimes even conservative in comparison to George W. Bush or Barack Obama or, of course, when you deal with the more radicals like the Bernie Sanders. Yeah. And and here's the thing, because, you know, the whole R&D thing gets that's tossed around, but the Republicans and conservatives have, and, and I'll say Christians, we, if we're, if we're going on the standard of God's law, we have so many issues where we could reach out to those on the traditional left, whether that's on immigration, whether that's on the criminal justice system, whether that's on the war on drugs, whether that's on welfare and poverty. And these are the biggest issues that face the poor and those who the left has targeted and has commandeered for many, many generations. But because Republicans have their certain talking points and their certain uh, things that they're just stuck in, they're just leaving on the table all these potential voters. If they would actually embrace God's law as their standard, I'm telling you, there are so many people who are willing to, because they're fed up with the Democrat Party too. They feel used. Mm-hmm. They feel like they're just being um, kowtowed to every four years, made a bunch of promises. And, and you know, Obama was, was present for eight years. What happened to the criminal justice system? Does anybody think that the criminal justice system was reformed in any meaningful way, any substantially transformative way while Obama was president? No, clearly not. And does the fact that our prison system has, you know, millions of incarcerated uh, Americans in it, like orders of magnitude greater than any other nation in the world in certain terms of percentage in the prison population, so obviously a problem, you know, they're not fixing it either, right? But we have the answers. We, in, in terms of God's law, have the the uh, the law and the and the statutes that actually will help people because they're God's law, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, I just think there's a huge opportunity being missed, and I hope that out of this silly bifurcated uh, elephant, donkey, Republican, Democrat, out of that is going to come somebody who is championing God's law, mm-hmm. and that people will be like, you know what? all of this stuff that we've been trying and look at the results, you know, and that's what God's law is supposed to do. It was supposed to do that in the old, old covenant too. It's supposed to be like, what is this law that's so fair and just that, you know, people would be attracted to it. Now it's not going to regenerate their soul from there. You, you, you need the Holy spirit to regenerate them, but still God's law is good for society. It's never going to happen though until re- people are regenerated and actually want justice. 
So what you're saying is, <laughs> don't, don't Jordan Peterson, don't, don't, don't twist that. Well, you make a good point because what I'm tired of is this hamster wheel that we're on where it's the most important election, every election, right? This the, in the history of elections, the last one was the mm-hmm. most important. Well, I mean, the biggest thing that's changed in my life is this year round, I got a, a smaller tax refund. I mean, I'm sorry. so it's like, what, what does that mean? And it's yeah. like, it's not even by much. There's very little practical change on a year by year basis. And you're absolutely right. The, the, um, the, the hordes of people out there and all the social commentators and all the politicians are going to tell you, this is the most important election ever. And I just don't see it. And here, and, and, and just from a yeah. Christian perspective, um, from a post-millennial perspective, I do think there's going to gr- be a great amount of increase. I do think there's going to be a great amount of growth in the kingdom of God. However, focusing in on the p- politics, like modern American politics right now, and dedicating so much time and so much energy on that is frankly putting the cart before the horse. We need revival. Mm-hmm. And we need revival. We need to obey God's law. The churches need reformation. And when that happens, we will affect the politics. And honestly, the way we're going to affect the politics is going to be burning down that system and rebuilding it from the ground up. Hey. Not by these tiny little reforms and legislative efforts. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's why I brought that up, because this hamster wheel that thing... Uh, with what you said, Jordan, too, that the the emphasis on the president is magnified to such a degree that that it is like we're electing the most benevolent dictator in our eyes. We treat it like that, as if he or her, as it were, um, is going to somehow magically be able to undo whatever this stuff is. When we have our majority Republican, you know, Congress and presidency that still can't even do something simple like defund Planned Parenthood, yeah, let alone abolish abortion. It's an abortion. absolute abortion. joke. Yeah. It's an absolute joke. So localism is huge, right? Reformation of churches, um, laboring locally, uh, getting pulpits to actually preach a comprehensive law word of God. <laughs> There's a whole lot of things that need to happen. And I think focusing not as much on winning uh, because a lot of evangelicals are just focused on the electing the next pro-life Supreme Court justice. Oh, you know, we, we, we have to stay in this two-party system and we can't support, support a third party because that would mean that we wouldn't get another uh, conservative justice, another Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court, and then then they wouldn't overturn Roe. It just, evangelicals need to let this this baby go. It is not going to deliver. It is... It is Absolutely. By the way, I'm still yeah. waiting for uh, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh to overturn Roe. I was promised that. Yeah, like John Roberts was supposed to be really conservative mm. too, and he immediately reinforces Obamacare. Right. And it's an absolute joke. And and I want to be clear, it's not that Christianity doesn't speak to politics. It does. What I'm saying is the political system isn't worth investing in right now. I think politics are very useful to point at and say, this is evil. Right. And that's why I talk about politics. Exactly. And I think that uh, the nation would be served by a loser third party candidate who candidate who, who gets a quarter of a percentage of the national vote, who nonetheless is given a platform. And that actually happens during elections. There was a Mormon candidate who was running just to screw over Donald Trump at the end in Utah, I believe. And he was like the third. I don't remember his name. But he was. I know who you're talking about. He I was. Can't, I as for a while, he got on CNN. He got everywhere. And his. He, you know, he was vacuous. He didn't really have anything. All he was trying to do was just get notoriety for that one reason. 
But I, I really do think that there is an opportunity here. And you see the Libertarian Party go forward with their their Gary Johnson. Speaking of <laughs> jokes. Speaking, speaking of, of jokes. absolute jokes. Just, yeah. And I'm a Christian Libertarian, but that party is... <laughs> oh, uh, it, I can't say the words I want to say about the Libertarian just, Party. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it would really shine in the darkness to have and bring attention to the loveliness of God's law and of the Christian worldview, to be honest. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Evan something. Evan yeah, Mc, uh, McClellan. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Sorry, Evan. Evan also, not going to remember your name. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Repent and believe the gospel. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, hey, we're going to take a quick break. Check us out on Facebook. You can find us, Crossing Crown Radio, there. You can find what we're doing with Crossing Crown Church there as well. Thank you for listening. We'll be back to talk about presuppositional ism and presuppositional apologetics. We have some footage recently from George Mason we want to look at too All right. and listen to. So we'll be right back. Evan McMullen. Police be tripping off. Yeah, this is America. Guns in my area. I got the strap. Hey. I gotta carry him. Yeah, yeah, I'ma go into this. Yeah, yeah, this is gorilla. Yeah, yeah, I'ma go get the bag. Yeah, yeah, or I'ma get the pad. Yeah, yeah, I'm so cold like yeah. Yeah, I'm so dull like yeah. We gon' blow like yeah. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in, their, in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the, create, the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. 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 Welcome back to Crossing Ground Radio. We have... Uh, our second half coming at you now. We have spent time talking about God's law this season. We've talked about postmillennialism. And one thing we didn't touch on is presuppositionalism. So we wanted to make sure we went out with a bang, I guess you could say, with this episode number 12. And presuppositionalism, we'll just start with this. Um, we want to make a distinction between presuppositional apologetics and presuppositionalism. And there's a reason for that. A lot of times, um, it is a popular thing. Presuppositional apologetics uh, has really been made popular in large part 
thanks to Cy Tamburugenkates. Shout out um, to Cy. Appreciate uh, you, How brother. to Answer the Fool. I believe that's what it was called. That's right. Yeah. Documentary, um, interactive thing. It was really good. Uh, and I think he took, basically, I think he, you know, how Bonson would try to take Van Til and make him a little more palatable. palatable. I think Cy tried to take that too and put it on a street level. And that really, I think, was helpful to a lot of people to understand how to do presuppositional apologetics. But the, but the problem with that, though, is that when we think that presuppositionalism is presuppositional apologetics, there is a theology behind this that touches every area of life. That's what we would call presuppositionalism. That's what I would want to call it. Certainly, there's an a- application to that when you're dealing with the unbeliever, when you're dealing with someone who uh, doesn't love Christ, is at odds with Christ, and you're trying to engage that person on a certain level where you're using the presuppositional worldview. But it's broader than that. It's not just something we do for apologetics. It's not something we just do in those situations. It's actually this broader theology and worldview that is really the basis for everything. It's the foundation for all things, whether we're talking about your thinking, your reasoning, um, whether you're talking about presidential candidates and who, how you should vote or those types of things. Your math homework. Your math home. Yeah. Why does two plus two equal four? Um, because as far as I know, we're, you know, maybe that's next. We're going to debate that. Maybe it's, maybe it's five <laughs> in an alternative universe. So, yeah, we want to make that distinction. Presuppositionalism is this big worldview where we start with God and who he is. Um, and so I, we have a lot to cover, a lot to go back and forth on. I know that. But I really wanted to start with this foundational principle. And it's really, it's all about scripture. It pertains to scripture. Because we as reformed people would believe, we do believe that scripture is our authority, and and that's because it's tied to who God is. Right. So I, I have this. I have a couple books on my on my desk here in front of me. One is John Frame's book on Van Til, which I finished last week, uh, which is a doozy, four hundred some pages, but it's really good. I think Frame is very balanced. He's very helpful in understanding Van Til. Van Til, of course, really is is viewed as the uh, founder, if you will. Uh, Calvin was a presuppositionalist. Well, I, I mean, the founder, I believe, was Christ. <laughs> I right, mean, and, right. and I believe Systemized it's all throughout there. scripture. Right. Yes. Um, and, and I believe that out of the, uh, you know, we have it all throughout scripture, and then you have it in, in the thoughts of uh, Augustine as well. Yeah. And then there's traces of it. And so what Van Til did, and not to steal your thunder, but, no, but what Van Til did is he brought it back, and he brought it specifically back into the seminaries. And, right, and he systematized it there again, and so a lot of what we're having now with re- this resurgence is a direct flow back from that yeah. re- that uh, what he did. Absolutely, there. it's just like with any other truth. Reformed theology wasn't invented by John Calvin, right? Right, he <laughs> systemized it, he popularized it. It's the same thing with presuppositionalism and Cornelius Van Til. It's the same thing with Christian Reconstructionism with R.J. Rushdoony. Yeah, right. these things existed before time because they're truths. Yeah. So they're all bounded up in God and who he is. Um, but these men who are tools by God, imperfect, mm-hmm. but tools of God, uh, popularized these ideas and systemized these ideas. Yes, absolutely. Yep. I agree 100%. Well, one of the things with when we think about scripture is, is Van Til was fond of making sure it was clear that the idea of scripture is never to be separated from its message. So we're not... And here's, here's what he's getting at. Basically, if scripture is, is God's word 
then it has to convey, you know, a man's ultimate authority. And then therefore it's inerrant in all matters. And here's what Van Til describes. And Van Til, of course, was heavily influenced by Warfield and Warfield's great work on inerrancy. But here's what he says. This is Van frame quoting Van Til. He said, the classical doctrine of the infallible inspiration of scripture was involved in the doctrine of divine sovereignty. God could not be sovereign in his disposition of rational human beings if he were not also sovereign in his revelation of himself to them. If God is sovereign in the realm of being, he is surely also sovereign in the realm of knowledge. Now, hopefully you caught that because it's a very nuanced point. If we are affirming the sovereignty of God, we have to affirm the sovereignty of God in all areas, especially knowledge. We're talking about epistemology. So when he's saying the sovereignty of God and being, he's talking like ontologically, like we are in Christ or we are not in Christ. So referring back to Reformed theology, specifically how we are saved, like a Calvinistic view of theology, predestination. Correct. But then he says, if he's going to be sovereign in predestination and who we are, kind of an ontological level, why would not? Why would God not be sovereign in knowledge as well? Correct. Yes. That's why you, frankly, I think Reformed theology is the only way you can get this right. Because we already have the Romanists who are deep, knee-deep in Thomism. Um, but for those of you who aren't um, familiar with the phrase you just used, I want to explain that especially because we have quite a few crossing crown kids that'll be listening to this. Um, when we think about ontology, what you're saying is the nature of being in itself. Right. And um, it was, I think in his book, Defense of the Faith, he argued, Van Til argues this idea that really the only, the reform position is, is the only position you can get. Because what you inevitably have is like William Lane Craig's out there who are arguing for a vague deity and and they're thi- and basically they're elevating like Arminianism would elevate man's rationale as the supreme arbiter. When it can't be that, it shouldn't be that. Why? Because of presuppositionalism. But ontology is simply the nature of being. And so when we speak of ontology, we also speak of economy. We have the ontological Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That is the nature of being of of God. He is one God, three persons. But then you have the economic trinity, and this is tied to covenant theology. You have not only God who exists, this is the aseity of God in and of himself. He's self-sufficient, he's self-contained, he's absolute, but he's also a personality. He interacts with the world. That's the economic trinity. Right. That's We're not talking do- dollars and cents right, right now, right? We're talking da- okay, yeah. <laughs> function. Right. Um, Although it does probably, it will apply. It does apply to that as (laughs) well. (laughs) So Van Til would describe God as the absolute personality. He's no other worldview, no other God. This is why Islam falls apart, because God is not personal in Islam. But for us, God is absolute in the sense that he's self-existent, he's self-sufficient, um, he's self-contained, but he's also personal. He's He thinks, he speaks, he acts, he loves, he judges. He, right. he is above history, yet works in history. I love how you brought that point up about Islam, because in all other worldviews, God is either transcendent or he's imminent. He's either totally consumed by the creation and part of the creation, or he's completely other than the creation and completely separate from the creation. It's yeah. only in Christ, in the Trinity, the Godhead, that you have reconciled the concept of the one and the many. And so that, I think, is a that Trinitarian starting point for the Trinitarian Christian God 
is the answer to all the cults. It's the answer to Hinduism, yes. which is God is all all is one. Well, if all is one, then you can't uh, you can't then uh, there's there's logical contradictions that you can't um, undo. And so, right from the starting point, you've just given up logic. It's irrationalism. And then you have, you know, rationalism on the on the far other end that can't make sense of of God. Uh, interacting with his actual creation, interacting with his world. But you have both of those reconciled in Christianity. It's, it's no rules, which is bad, or we're going to make up rules, but we can't justify the rules. Yes. It's the inherent issue of dialecticism, and that's why Van Til just destroys you know, Plato and Aristotle and Parmenides, like all these Greek philosophers who were both rationalistic and irrationalistic <laughs> because they couldn't solve the problem. Yep, and, and that is... Those two are actually, rationalism and irrationalism are joined at the hip. People don't get that. Um, if you know who Carl Sagan is, he eventually went into saying things like, oh, I don't have a problem with Buddhism. Um, essentially, what a lot of people do when they're trying, when they're especially if they're atheistic, is um, they'll realize that their worldview is taking them to absolute narcissism and absolute meaninglessness, where literally everything is going to burn up your you have no purpose in your life. There is nothing transcendent. You're going to die, be worm food, and be forgotten, and that's it. Yeah. And that makes you not want to live your life, right? And people are are then drawn to these concepts of irrationalism. And you hear this a lot in Hollywood, like, ask the universe for what you want, and the universe will give you it. Well, the universe is indifferent. There is no, there's no personality to right. talk to. Exactly. Hello, universe. No, that's not a personality. Universe can't give you any. You can't interact with the universe. Right. And so, because a lot of people are scared of going down the road of absolute nihilism. That's what I meant, not narcissism. Nihilism. nihilism yeah. They're scared of going down the road of nihilism, so they they start believing these. And if you hear like in popular culture, Will Smith will talk about this stuff. You hear it all the time. And it just sounds like irrational gobbledygook. Um, and there's a lot to say on this and I'm probably rambling a little bit, but, <laughs> but there really is a connection between rationalism and irrationalism. Well, let's define that because maybe a listener you're out there, you don't really, these are big words you've never heard of before. Rationalism is simply the idea that human reason is the, ultimate arbiter reason is where the buck stops when when man thinks so he is right uh ergo cogito uh, what is he descartes thing uh i think therefore i am um whereas irrational means that it's sort of like skepticism you can't trust anything you think you can't know that you know that you know that type of language right and that's why there's always this uh it's non it can't be reconciled in a non-christian worldview ever so i Finishing the scripture discussion, and we can keep going on that because that's really good stuff, especially when we talk about pushing the antithesis. One of the things that Van Til connects is the idea of scripture being our authority. So we know that God is sovereign through his word. We trust it's his word because he's revealed himself. But that's not like a blind faith. That's the other issue. Um, when we learn of this God from scripture, we realize and this is Van Til, that such a God must identify himself. Such a God identifies all the facts of the universe. In identifying all the facts of the universe, he sets these facts in relation to one another. So presuppositionalism is this foundational belief that God is who he says he is, and that we know and can know things in the universe because God is the one who sets them out. 
Yes. And, and that's the major, major deal breaker for all other worldviews. Um, we can, this is, um, Van Til uses the language of analogical reasoning. Our reasoning can, it's only, it's like approximate reasoning. We can't, um, we can't have reason being ultimate because then we don't know if we can even trust our reasoning. Right. Um, but we have a God who is entirely perfect and self-sufficient, who is a God of love and compassion, and he has revealed himself. Right. He's chosen to, and in fact, he must reveal himself. That's the nature of God and his creation and yeah. self-sufficiency. And if and this is this can sound a little bit out there, but it's very easy to prove. Like try proving anything without first starting with God. Like literally try doing it because if you want to even prove that you exist, if you want to prove that you saw that car down the road, if you want to prove anything, whether it's empiricism or whatever, it's all relying on your cognitive faculties working, your senses and your reliability uh, being reliable. And we have to use our senses and our cognitive faculties and our reasoning in order to justify them. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a bit, if you don't start with God in a transcendent, uh, revelator, then you're going to end up in this vicious circle. And, but what we're doing with, uh, as an apologetic to distinguish it, uh, presuppositionalism from just the presuppositional epistemology is we're accounting for the reliability of our senses and our cognitive faculties. If we step back and do a, a, uh, a review of our, um, of our epistemology, it, it is, you can account for it. It's consistent with the Christian worldview because we have the God who has in the, in the Christian worldview, we have the God who has all knowledge. He's both transcendent and imminent. He's personal. He can relate to us. He can communicate to us and he has all knowledge. And so he can impart that to us. Uh, and he can, he's stamped the image of God on us and created us knowing who he is. As we talked about in the intro, all, all, uh, all, all humans everywhere know the God that exists, the triune God. There was only one. And so we have an accounting for the fact that we can rely on our senses and our cognitive faculties. We have a reason to believe that where without, if you don't start there, then you're just essentially giving up any foundation for knowledge. You just have to assume things and move on. But the definition of assumption is taking something to be true without evidence. And if you're an evidentialist, then you've just, you've just contradicted yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we don't check the scriptures at the door when we're dealing with unbelievers or dealing with um, contrary worldviews. We push the antithesis, right? The the great antithesis is this reality. There is the one true God. There are no other gods. And there is creator and creation, Romans 1. There's a distinction to be made. And because God reveals himself in the word, we know that it's necessary, right? Um, because, again, all facts are laid out by God. Uh, it is authoritative. It's per perspicuous. We can understand it. Because God's not the author of confusion. He's not just trying to confuse everybody and he's playing cosmic hide and seek with us. And then, of course, it's sufficient. But what we must not do is approach politics, approach our family, approach um, economics, or approach the unbeliever in a position of neutrality, right? We push that antithesis between the true God and everything else. Right, exactly. And, and this is really where... I see a lot of reformed people making this the mistake. They will buy into the 
reformed presuppositional apologetics. And they'll go out on the street corner or they'll be on Facebook with an atheist and they'll ask, well, how do you know that? And they'll push the antithesis in relation to proving the existence of the Christian God and, and the Christian faith. But when it comes to how they rule their family, mm-hmm. and when it comes to how they rule the church, mm-hmm. when it comes to how they think about politics, how they think about society, how they think about fill in the blank, all of a sudden they're evidentialists or they're utilitarians. Right. One or the other. When it comes to politics, they start talking about, well, we can't get something that's perfect, so we have to do what works. But when they're talking to an atheist on the street, they ask, by what standard? Yeah, they turn into pragmatists and all these other issues. Exactly. <laughs> but if, 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 a pol- if presuppositional apologetics, I'm sorry, if presuppositional apologetics is true, then it's true for all of life, right? Not just for apologetics. You can't get re- yeah. you can't get presuppositional apologetics without a presuppositional view of everything, mm-hmm. and that's big because we all love evidences. Uh, whether we're uh, well as Christians, we love evidence evidence for for creation, evidence uh, for God's existence, evidence for all kinds of things, and we're not against evidences. My my first study Bible was Ray Comfort's Evidence Bible. Right, right. Well, well, okay, yeah, but um, that was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, the 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 biblical accounts of in the Gospels are evidences of Christ's resurrection. Right, right. <laughs> so exactly. The Bible is evidence. Everything is um, that. W- there's so many places we can go to to prove that God exists. But what the Bible makes clear is that evidence is not the problem because it's our moral rebellion against God that is our reason for rejecting him. Mm-hmm. We all already know that God exists. And because uh, we love our sin, we reject him. That's the reason why. Now, I still think that evidence evidences have their place. But what we where we run into problems is where we try to use evidences in in order to impress the atheist, in order to run far away from the Bible because we're embarrassed of the Bible. We're embarrassed of using the Bible as our starting point for truth. And what presuppositional apologetics is, is it's simply, in in terms of the apologetic, it's simply an approach to apologetics that seeks to proclaim the truth of Christ while examining and exposing the underlying arbitrary assumptions of the critiques made by non-Christians against the Christian worldview. And the the presuppositionalist approach, rather than seeking to argue about subordinate claims uh, stemming from faulty assumptions, is an attempt to get to the bottom line. So, you know, you've heard the analogy of the the streetcar race, the race for pink slips, where, and and I believe Cy used to talk about this. It's like Fast where, and Furious? Yeah, Fast and the Furious yeah, kind yeah. of thing. And you're, you're going <laughs> to drag, you're, it, you're so. a drag race <laughs> and you're like, hey man, I'll race you. That's exactly how they talk, just like that. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Vin Diesel's You there can tell somewhere. I'm so cool. I, I, that's all I got. Sorry. And so they're offering to, you know, race and whoever wins gets the car. And the proof that you have the car is to show the pink slip, the ownership of the, the car. Because why are you going to race someone if they don't even own the car? And so what presuppositional apologetics does is before you argue about the complexity of the eye, uh, 
Before you get into the how long does it take for starlight to reach the the earth and what the, you know. Look at the shape of this banana. <laughs> right, exactly. Before you get into all of that, hey, let's talk about our fundamental commitments, right? Where What is truth? You know, how do you, uh, how do you account for your reasoning in general or even your thoughts? How, let's start there. Let's not argue way down here and just talk past each other. Let's get to the fundamental issues. And what you do, what happens when you're arguing faithfully for the faith and you're being faithful to scripture is you're not answering the fool according to his folly, as we're commanded to do, and also not to do, ironically. But, um, but answering a fool according to his folly is, is in sort of enabling them to think that they can just set aside the word of God and just autonomously come to truth outside of revelation from God and without depending on God for themselves. And if you're enabling them in that discussion for a for a arrogant, God-hating atheist, then then that is not faithful to God because mm-hmm. he is your authority. Well, you simply put, you can't reason yourself to God because your reason is broken. And and th- that is a huge point. I mean, there, there's there's sin affecting all parts of your being. Right. Including your reason. Because we're not saying that unbelievers don't know things. Right. They do know That's the thing is they can't account for it, though. Right. And Jordan, you brought up a great point because I got two verses for you. First Corinthians one eighteen, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. And then First Corinthians 2.14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Uh-huh. This this worldview, this presuppositional apologetic, is not meant to be you pompously destroying a worldview. Right. You are destroying a worldview, uh-huh. uh, but it's the that's why the gospel is so essential because we. A, as reformed people, we know that the Spirit of God regenerates hearts, mm-hmm. but the message has to be heard, and then the message has to be proclaimed. So instead of, like as you pointed out, instead of sitting there arguing about, you know, how could Noah get all those animals on the ark? Well, let's not deal with that. There is a time and a place for evidence, especially whether you know if it's a reductio ad absurdum or or um, you are answering the fool according to his folly. Mm-hmm. Fine, but. By and large, we're working from this biblical principle that they, yes, they know things, but it's broken. And we need to, we need them to come to faith in Christ so that their reasoning can be restored. Absolutely, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, although their reason is broken, they are, they are created in the image of God. And a lot of their Amen. desires and interests and their passions might be rooted in the character of God within them just being as an image bearer. And it's always going to be twisted though. Right. It's always going to be in the wrong direction. And, and this is one of the things about apologetics that, that I find interesting is that you can have conversations with people on the street and you can strike up conversations with them about their passions and their interests. And by and large, you'll find some guy um, at a coffee shop or something, and he's going to be interested in, you know, saving the whales or music or art or some sort of justice thing. And there's a lot of beauty and truth to that. Mm -hmm. And how he applies those ideas are oftentimes, I would say the vast majority of the times going to be very twisted. So instead of rejecting everything he's saying, 
we should say, no, actually, I think that's awesome that mm-hmm. you're interested in justice. I think that's awesome that you're interested in art and beauty. Mm-hmm. But why? Yeah. Why do these things matter? And then you can really strike home at like, honestly, man, like, I think it's great that you're interested in justice, but you can't even define justice. And that's exa- how can you ever justify your idea of justice? Right. And then you strike home there and then you point them to the cross. That's great. And that's exactly what happened a few months ago, Jason, when we were at George Mason, there was a young man that came up to us and he was saying exactly those things. He was very idealistic, wanted to save the planet, wanted to save the world, had a lot of great impulses about him. Yeah, we know somebody who can save that world. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, And the temptation is to automatically just bash them over the head with something, but like, no, affirm them. Stop. Stop for a second and say, you know what? God created this world good and he created man to take dominion over it and to care for it and affirm that impulse in them to want to do that. But then... Uh, at the same time, stand on the word of God. Right, exactly, exactly. And Jason, recently, if uh, I believe it was like two weeks ago, you were at George Mason again, and uh, I saw this this interaction that you had with this young man, and I I teed it up here, and I was wondering if you might come on it, comment on it. He was he was um, he seemed quite sincere, um, but he had an interesting thing to say about the Bible um, being a metaphor, and yeah. so I just thought that was interesting. One to set that up and yeah, he, and have you come. He was irrationally trying to be rational. Oh, <laughs> isn't that always the case? It's always the case. He's oh, absolutely gosh. sure. Yeah, uh, I, I think I see it. I read it as um, meta- a metaphor for the human condition, and like the whole thing. What do you mean? Like, because yeah. certain several, there are metaphors that not, like Jesus it, used, but like yeah. Jesus was a historical person. He wasn't like this right. metaphor yeah. in abstract land. Yeah, Jesus of Nazareth was a person. Yes. Um, Still a person. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah, because um, he died and was raised. I believe. I believe in. Um, well, I, there's no absolute. I we can't know the absolute truth. Is that absolutely true? Well, confusion is tr- true. The only things. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, he's. he's mm. I mean, that last statement might be. True now, for I want to say something. It is going to be super easy to laugh at this young guy because it honestly, it is sort of a funny thing that happened because you're asking him. He's saying something that's obviously self-contradictory. Right. But um, I don't want to. I don't want to like make fun of him. What's going on is that you've um, you've made him stop and think for a second, and you've humbled him a little bit. Because that's what needs to happen usually in a lot of apologetic scenarios when you've got somebody who's arguing against the Lord of the universe. The most proud thing you could actually do. Um, presuppositional apologetics and it allows you to go about it in such a way that makes them shut their mouth for a second. You yeah. see him, he goes, ah, right? Because, yeah. and I just thought, that, and, then, and then you have their ear to then give the gospel right. more easily. Yeah, because it's way more than the zingers. Yeah, always right. had to point them towards right. the cross. Right. Yeah, and it, yeah, inevitably that's where that conversation. I remember this young man. It eventually got to that point mm-hmm. because I I was trying to push the antithesis with him, and that's what you need to do. Yeah, because I it's not, you know, we have people that say, well, we should just preach Jesus. Well, I think preaching Jesus is a twofold thing. One, it's pushing the antithesis, pointing out the folly, and then pointing out the only resolution of any of that is in Christ. That's right. preaching, just like preaching the gospel involves preaching against idolatry. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a either or. It's two sides of the same coin. Yeah, and and you know what? I remember when I was first coming uh, to understand better 
a reformed epistemology, a uh, presuppositional approach to to knowledge. And I, I remember first hearing sort of the presuppositional approach and then saying, you can't know anything without God. And I was thinking to myself, well, wait a minute, that's not right because... Because I could say that I don't know things. There are certain things I don't know. But then even that is a truth claim because you could be suppressing something that you are claiming that you don't know. So right, exactly. there's all these things that we light bulb moments. Maybe hopefully pray for this young man. He had us a light bulb moment. And maybe, you know, a few days from now, we'll be lying on his pillow and he'll be thinking about that conversation. And the, the spirit will work and use that. So, yeah, yeah I, I thought that was a great exchange. Yeah, I Pray for that man. Yeah. I don't, I don't, who knows? We talked for quite a while longer. That video is on our YouTube page. I think there's, you know, something that we talked about in the first segment when we're talking about politics, about how we don't as, um, you know, more conservative Christians, if you want to use the word conservative, and I'm not sure if I do all the time, but people who abide by God's law, who are conservative in their theology, we don't take the opportunity to address issues uh, such as you know systemic racism or sexual objectification of women, these issues that are kind of like pigeonholed into like a liberal corner, but they shouldn't be, and that's such a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, and it's really a shame. But if you think about this in a presuppositional perspective, we're really missing a huge opportunity, even on the apologetic end. Because so many people care about these issues on a deep, deep level. Mm-hmm. And that is coming from, I, I, I would genuine, genuinely say, like, they're image bearers of God. Yeah. And part of their nature can point and say, that is messed up. Yeah. Like, there's something wrong with yeah, that. Cause you- and I, I remember a few years ago, uh, myself and a few others from uh, a group of abolitionists in Norman, we went to Norman High School. And what had happened was that a young man in that high school had raped a girl. And there was a big demonstration outside that high school with all these high school students and other people from the community holding signs, denouncing like this rape culture, denouncing the objectification of women, denouncing sexual assault. And we as Christians, we talked about it and said, you know what? We don't think the church is going to be there. And that is a shame. So we went out there as Christian abolitionists and we held signs with them, and then we preached the gospel, and then we asked them, why is rape wrong? There you mm-hmm. go. That's an opportunity that you're taking advantage of. Exactly. And you see this at the, at the educational institutions all the time, whether it be high school or college. A lot of times, they're, oh, you're a Christian? Oh, you must be pro-Trump. And you, what about all these foreign wars? And, and, and you can just say, no, I don't support Trump. And no, I don't support foreign wars of aggression. And then you can go down the list and, and you know, know that, you know, this, this aspect it, it of immigration so is evil. Much. And just, yeah. just for them to know mm-hmm. that you're not just playing according to the team. Right. Means a lot. Right. And the criminal justice system is a complete mess and it needs to be completely reformed. And, and the, you know, the, the prison system is, no, is, you know, terrible. You know, you can affirm all of these things, and then you, you, to them, you're not just some partisan hack that's out there. Right. Exactly. You know. Well, this this happens all the time at George Mason, and in fact, that I had an encounter with a guy earlier, where he was frustrated that we were there, we're harassing them with our abortion signs, and I told him, I said, because he was against. Um, he assumed that I was a Trump guy. Of course. <laughs> and that's sad. And then I said, well, actually, no, I didn't vote for Trump the first time around. And he he was like, what? You know, yeah. kind of shocked by that. Yeah. And and I said, look, if you want to make me a sign that says 
bombing children in Syria is immoral and wicked. Would you stand with me? And he was like, well, yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. And what you just, your example, John, that's Paul in Athens. He went to the altar of the unknown God. Yep. We have a bunch of people walking around with altars to an unknown God. Mm. And we are simply leveraging that. We're using that. No, Paul must have been pandering. Yeah, and clearly. <laughs> right. But that's what we're doing. We are going into the world. Himself. Yeah, we're compromising ourselves. We're going into the world with that, with the the truth of God's word, mm-hmm. the authority of God's self-revelation. Mm-hmm. And we are pushing the antithesis. We are bringing everything to bear. We are forcing epistemological self-consciousness um, so that man must grow in his understanding of himself. Right. And at no time did Paul, while he was talking about things that he could reason together with the Athenians, did he affirm any of their faulty anti-Christian presuppositions. He undermined exactly. all of them in exactly. that exchange and people get that wrong sometimes. Yeah. But one, wow. one more thing, if we can, I know we got to yeah. run out of time here. Quick thing on natural law, because yeah. John mentioned it earlier was the theological term for what he was talking about is the noetic effects of sin, how the effects of the curse not only uh, affected us in our moral decisions and so forth, but also in our ability to, to reason properly. And so um, what you have in terms of natural law is people who want to appeal to this idea that we can have a just standard of, of, of law for all the nations, whether they be Christian, whether they be Muslim, Hindu, you know, Buddhist, what have you, and we can appeal to this natural law, which is this, this, this alleged ability for mankind to come to, on their own, these, um, these ideas of what is just. And what we have in Scripture, in Romans 1, and then continuing on in Romans, Romans 2, is that we see that some because the work of the law, not the law, because the work of the law is written on all men's hearts, sometimes they can get it right. Mm-hmm. But they'll always be conflicting. And they'll all, they'll never get it, to, they'll only get it the most partially right. Like finding a prize while stumbling right. along in the dark. It's possible. Blind but, squirrel, yeah, broken clock. Right. They can get it right. But they're, um, the reason why God's law in the Old Testament was such a light was because all these people didn't have it written down for them like the Israelites had. And in any case, because they're, they're, they have these conflicting thoughts, because their they're, they're mind, their ability to reason consistently has been affected by the curse. The, this is not a, a, uh, a good standard to appeal to. We don't need to run away from biblical law and what's in scripture to sort of pander to the world to say, hey, you can, you can achieve righteousness in the law and you don't need to be a Christian. You don't need to read the Bible and get your truth about what should be happening in the law from there. Um, and the other one, so that's the first one, is that the, this problem of natural loss, underestimating and de-emphasizing the noetic effects of sin. The other one is this idea that what happens out of out, out in nature is normative. So, mm, yeah. if if you look at the history of of mankind, it's a it's a sad history in terms of uh, especially non Christian governments, and to the degree that Christian governments have departed from biblical law, also with Christian governments, mm-hmm. is this legacy of a, a mountain of skulls of death, tyranny, injustice. <laughs> and if you want to go to what's normative in history, the common law of nations and so forth, it's it's not something you want to point to as a badge of excellence. This comes up in so many different conversations in different ways. Mm-hmm. One thing that I just remembered when you were talking was all these conversations about gender roles and masculinity and femininity. And that's a huge discussion. I don't want to get into the weeds on right now, but I always hear the argument that we need to go back to historic masculinity. And I'm always thinking, don't we believe in total depravity? <laughs> 
<laughs> like, like, isn't historical masculinity a a like a history of sin, death, and like lust, and it's like yeah, let's try. Isn't bibli- that what we actually think theologically, though? Yeah. yeah, let's try biblical masculinity, not some conception of masculinity that the Spartans came up with. Right, exactly. Some sort of Spartan, <laughs> there you like, go. Or, right. or like a leave it to Beaver, like romanticized vision of the 1950s. That's pure fantasy, right? With a little bit of Sparta. Yeah, yeah. Throw <laughs> throw in a little bit of lynchings during that time period too. Yeah. No, no big deal. So what you're saying, Jordan? I don't know if you have a, a little more you want to share on that, but ultimately, either Scripture is going to speak to all of life, or it's going to not speak to life at all. Exactly. I mean, that's the option. You have true biblical Christianity, or you have nothing but nihilism. Yep. And right. there's so much you can talk about. We didn't even get into scientism or induction <laughs> so or any of these much. very important things. We only scratched the surface. But um, we'll link to some uh, articles in the show notes, and uh, we'll continue this discussion. Yeah. In season two, baby. Yeah, season, season two, two. Just a reminder, this is episode number 12, the last ever season one, episode 12. We will miss you. Yes. Yeah, but we will be back soon. Like us, gone. share us, wherever, wherever you listen to us. Give us a review, share us, and we'll be back in season two, and we'll be continuing what we started. Ready to go some By God's grace, Lord willing. Sounds good. Grace and peace.